Um, songs that we sang earlier, Round the Walls of Jericho. Um, Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. They're all taken from uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the old part of the Bible. We call it the Old Testament. Um, but it's a story emerges there that we've been looking at over the last few months, many months. Uh, just dipping into it. The story of, of God interacting with people in history. And uh, last week we were looking at this incredibly dramatic moment when, when um, more than a million people crossed a river into what they were called, going to call the promised land. And it was a dramatic crossing and it had lots of echoes of a previous crossing of a, of a great stretch of water when they left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Forty years later, here they are, crossing into the promised land. And just around that time, just before they crossed, and then after they crossed, the first city that was right there in front of them was the city we've been singing about, Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. It, uh, 8,000 some say 9,000 years before Christ, there were people inhabiting this city. It's been excavated uh, a huge number of times. After Jerusalem, they say it's the, it's the city in the Middle East that's been excavated more than any because of its long history. It probably... The, The name probably comes from a Hebrew word which means moon or month. Early inhabitants of the city were uh, moon worshippers. They worshipped the moon god who they believed controlled the cycles um, of the agricultural seasons. And uh, they were probably onto something there, weren't they, in that whole idea of cycles and seasons. It was an incredibly important city, but it was fairly self-contained, only about 10 acres. It's 825 feet below sea level. You will be tested on this information before you leave. So it's it's the lowest city in the world. And the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, it winds up through the wilderness It climbs more than 3,000 feet in less than 20 miles. So when Jesus said there was a man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he really was going down. (laughs) It's a city of palm trees. That's what they called it. Uh, There were springs of tepid and cold waters and they grew lemons and oranges and bananas and castor oil plants Melons, figs, grapes. Sounds good, doesn't it? When the crusaders went there, they, they started to grow sugar there as well. Oh, when the Israelites crossed the river, this city, walled city, was just four miles the other side. And it, uh, it was clearly visible. They knew that city was going to be the first Challenge, And when they were camped two miles away, I'm sure they could be seen from the walls of the city and they could see the city. This is what the story 
recorded in the Hebrew scriptures tells us. They looked up and could see these seemingly impregnable walls. And the people of Jericho could see them and they had heard stories. And sometimes stories are more powerful than the facts because the stories get elaborated and they get added to. And the stories that were being fed back were frightening. These people had come through the wilderness. There were stories already about how they had been delivered from Egypt. And Egypt was a huge power. It was the power that dominated that entire area. So the fact that there were stories coming about these people having got out of Egypt and the armies having been defeated when they crossed the Red Sea were probably the stuff of legends now. And these were the people outside. They had a challenge. And Alan's going to tell us a bit about that challenge. We're going to read it together. Now you you need to listen carefully because... We want to know what this story is all about. Because we are clueless. So it's over to you later. But we'll come around with a mic. So, so what, what might be stirring in us when we think about this story? Yeah, last week we crossed the Jordan. And this story that I'm going to read now is kind of interwoven around that. All right. So it's from Joshua 2. And it says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Why? Why did they go to a prostitute's house? We could romanticize it and say that maybe she kept an inn. But actually, two blokes out... What were they doing there? These, you know, when I was a kid, this story had a, an unbelievable romantic edge to it. You know, the people of God doing the right thing, going and taking the land from these terrible, terrible people. Read it as if this is the first time, all right? Listen to it. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you. And entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know they had come from where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. She had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. This woman is risking her life unbelievably here. It's not just, hey, she's one of the good guys. Because she's not. She's one of the city dwellers, the city that they are intending to sack. She decides to switch sides. She goes from the people that she is part of to this people that she has heard about. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear before you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shean and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Do you remember last week that God said to um, Joshua, be strong and very courageous? It's an important word within this whole story. Our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives... For your lives, the men assured her. That's quite a deal to be given, isn't it? Two spies just saying to this woman, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return and then go your way. The men say to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell us what we are doing, we will be. Re- but if you tell us, tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you made us swear. <coughs> Agreed, she replies. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, as she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That's quite an amazing little account. A good way to sort of start off the conquest of a new land, send in a couple of spies and be told constantly that everyone's hearts were melting with fear. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Um, What I thought we'd do just quickly is uh, I thought I'd give you a bit of an archaeology lesson (laughs) because, you know, it's the kind of thing we like to do, isn't it? Um, When I was in college, I did history, and part of what I had to do was to look at archaeology, and I, I must admit I hated it. We went out on site one day to see what archaeologists did, and most of the time they're on their hands and knees with brushes and tiny trousers, scraping like that, and dusting and and looking for things in the dirt, and I just thought, I'm never ever going to be an archaeologist, not even like Indiana Jones. (laughs) But archaeology, here we have the, uh, oh look, I've got my um, my little pen here, get it the right way around so I don't blind myself. Hey, there's Jericho, look, just around there, uh, there, where the arrow is, not there, there, fantastic. Okay, so that's where Jericho is, and the people have come up this way, 
uh, wrong side of the Red Sea, round here, and they've been sort of wandering up and down here for a little while. They defeated a few kings, and now they've crossed over here and gone to Jericho. Now, do you remember last week I said that the, the, um, they crossed through and the river stopped? Um, interestingly enough, uh, I discovered that the stopping of the river is quite a regular occurrence. Um, I did find it here. Um, oh, yeah. Earthquakes have caused rubble to fall into this river, damming it up and interrupting its flow for several hours. This is reported in the years 1160, 1267 for 16 hours, 1546, 1834, 1906, and 1927. So 1927 was the last time, and it was blocked up for 21 hours. You just think, God is fantastic, isn't he? Because, you know, he's a God of timing. He says, are you ready? Earthquake. This is a possible explanation, these things, I think, are fascinating, aren't they? Just, just the whole sort of playing out of these events and God's role in it. God as a planner. God as the person who sees everything, overarching everything, and says, now is the time. This is the moment. This is when it will happen. I, I just am in awe of God. The more, the more I discover about him. Back to our archaeology lesson. Let's have the next slide. Now, this is, this is what the city walls would have looked like. This is a cross-section of the city walls. As they've dug down, they've discovered that. First of all, there's the outer wall here. This bottom section is made of stone, real stone, proper stone, stone that doesn't go away, stone that doesn't fade away when it rains, as opposed to these walls here, which were made of mud, mud bricks, which means that when it rains... Mud bricks turned back to mud. They were constantly having to redo these walls here. And in between there, there's a gap, which they think would have been a killing ground. So the army attacking would have got over this wall. There they are, look, there's little men down there. They'd have somehow climbed up here, got over the wall, running up here, and then everyone would have chucked stuff down at them there, you know, arrows, bricks, cats. (laughs) Cows, whatever they could find, really. Just lob it down on them there, and there was nowhere for them to go. So they they reckon that was a killing ground. However, over the many, many hundreds of years, uh, this area here was filled up with houses because the inner city would have got filled, and people would have built houses. They discovered houses up against this wall here, and actually people put windows through. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Rahab lived... And her house was part of the outer wall. And she probably had a house just there somewhere with a window just through there and a scarlet cord hanging down there. It's, it's all interesting stuff. This is, these are the things that they discovered. As for the walls falling down and as to all this thing, um, a lady, the, the site has been excavate, excavated many times. But uh, the most scientific one, the first really scientific one, was in 1952, a lady called Kathleen Kenyon, yeah, Kathleen Kenyon. Um, and she dug straight down, got all the strata, did a really professional job, and decided that at the time that the Israelites were supposed to have attacked this city, there was no one there. It was empty and deserted. 
And many people have mocked the Bible, saying things like, uh, yes, it was easy for Joshua to take the walls of Jericho because there was no one there at the time. Um, and the walls were already fallen down. And, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and so some people within the archaeological community say, she's right. Okay, She's absolutely, definitely right. However, another bloke called Wood came along and started questioning her findings um, and basing his assumptions on things like pottery. These guys are fantastic, aren't they? These archaeological people. You know, they they look at bits of pottery and, and create whole stories out of them. Pottery, jars of grain, lumps of charcoal. <laughs> Don't you want to be an archaeologist? Come on, come on, I can see your enthusiasm. And they put all this information together, and he came up with the fact that actually this happened at exactly the time that people think that the Israelites went into the land. Not only that, there's all kind of scorch marks, there's all kinds of evidence to show that the walls came straight down, and he has completely turned her findings on the head. Now, you've got two sides of an argument, both scientific both incredibly detailed. Where do you take that information? Let's have a look at the next slide. That's not very clear, but if I just pointed out, stone walls, mud walls, houses, inner wall, city in the background. All right? uh, they, they tried to draw that as a kind of bit of the wall falling down, but that's ridiculous. It wouldn't have looked like that. Next slide. Here we have the stone walls. These are the stone walls that held the mud brick walls up. Okay? Um, and these are from uh, an Italian dig, which happened about 10, 15 years ago. Um, if we have the next slide, this is going to make an awful lot of sense to you. Look at that. That's fantastic, isn't it? Can you see it? Look! You should be jumping up and down for joy. Because this proves that those mud walls fell flat. If we can go back to the uh, slide. Can you do that? Can you go back? Go back and again. And again. There you go. When they dug, they found that these walls here and these walls here had collapsed straight down into a pile, making a nice little ramp for anyone to run up. And these walls here had fallen straight down, creating another nice little ramp. And apparently all the houses in there as well had fallen down. They can, they can prove that by the cross-sectional dig. Um, and so it does appear, if you read these signs one way, that everything that the Bible says about Jericho is correct. Although you would have an awful lot of very, very clever people turn around and say, rubbish. Okay? That's the archaeological side of Jericho. Chris is going to move this on a little bit now. Take it away from the mundane. Tony Robinson himself, thank you. Um, Well, did it happen the way that it says that it happened? Uh, I I, I don't know. You can get yourself around in circles, actually, when you read about this stuff. Joshua, as a book, as, as a series of stories, has come under heavy criticism. And there are people saying, well, you know, it didn't happen the way that it's written in the Bible. Uh, does that undermine my faith? Frankly, no. Because I think, and I've mentioned this before, I think truth 
is something bigger than the details. Because we have in the book of Joshua, as in other parts of the Bible, stuff that was written way, way in the future, looking back in retrospect. History, as they say in Braveheart, is written by the winners. Uh, they'll, they'll put a, a bit of a spin on it. They'll create, they'll retell the history. There isn't any such thing as pure history, is there? Is there, Andrew? I don't, he's got a first-class honours degree in ancient history, so, so and, Andrew should know if anyone. What, what do you, have you got a comment on this? Not yet, not yet, but he, he will by the end. But, uh, but our, our interpretation of stories, our retelling of a story, is, is, is a mixture of our impressions, our um, idiosyncrasies, our preferences, what side we're on, the purpose of writing all comes into how we write it down. And I'm sure that there are parts in this story that have a bit of a spin on them. Because they're written by people way in the future. Does that undermine the validity and the authority of Scripture? Personally, I don't think it does. Because I think the truth of what this story is all about is not in simply the detail. Of it, but I think it's in something bigger. Truth is something bigger than whether we can actually prove that there are two bits of the Bible that don't actually agree. There are some people who say it's like being in a court of law and, and you call witnesses and you interrogate. If everyone told the same story, you'd probably end up saying, this is a bit dodgy. Because the stories that are put together are seen from different perspectives and there'll be a bit of this and a bit of that. And the truth of it will be the important thing. So, in this story, what is the truth? What is it that we're meant to hear in this story? What is God speaking through these words? Because I believe that God is in Scripture, was in the forming and the writing and the putting together of these stories very much communicating a truth and something dynamic and alive and life-changing. And scripture is full of this. So what? What was this story all about? What do we learn from this story? This is where Al's going to come around with the mic. And we're thinking about Rahab and the story. The walls are going to come down next week. We'll get to that bit next week. But you know, uh, what was this story about Rahab, the prostitute, the spies, the scarlet cord in the window? What can we learn anything from this story? This ancient text—it's thousands and thousands of years old. We've got it translated into English in our hands and on our screen, which is amazing. Uh, what is it? Any thoughts about that from you? Be warned, Al and I will just carry on talking yeah. if you. Well, obviously, she's probably the least in her society or looked down upon, but God can use anybody, really? I mean, God can use. That's good, yeah. God, God can, can use, use anyone. Anybody. Even you. Look at that. That's fantastic. 
Just because I got you out doing the actions, you're getting yes, back yes. at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is interesting, isn't it? Because I thought that, that Rahab, why did she switch sides? You know, Al made the point that, that she switched sides. Some people say, well, she was a prostitute, which meant that she, she had no land. She, she was probably fairly poor disadvantaged in her own society maybe life wasn't that great for her perhaps the stories that she'd heard about this other people maybe she thought I'm going to be better off giving that a go maybe where I am now is not so great and perhaps perhaps I need to give this I love the fact that God responds to people who, for all sorts of spurious motives, he even responds to sometimes to people who are afraid they're going to go to hell when they die. And they say, oh, I don't want to go to hell. And they, God responds. I remember being brought up um, where people still believed that in a thing called the rapture, largely discredited in, in these days, but, but people believed in the rapture and believed that, that Jesus would come back and suddenly people would be snatched away. Do you remember? Uh, and and get, get left behind. And people would be panic-stricken that they'd go home one day and their parents wouldn't be there. Uh, I mean, it's a form of child abuse, actually, isn't it, to, to tell people that. But... but but people did respond and, and, and became Christians because they were afraid they were going to get left behind. In his grace, God accepts us for all sorts of reasons. And maybe, maybe Rahab's motives were mixed. Maybe she was, there was a bit of self-interest there, a bit of, well, maybe I'll be better off there because life isn't that great for me now. I'll give it a go. And got involved in something which was amazing. I kind of like the bit when he says go and get your family as well so it's not just her and it's yeah. not just well you believe me and we need to make sure the other people believe us we'll take Fantastic, your word for it as it? well yeah. it's not about personal stuff it's, it's about families and community and absolutely yeah. yeah. I just think that um, Rahab was incredibly brave because you know she could have been put to death surely for what she did and I mean, I'm like the least brave person that I know, but I think that, it, you know, sometimes God will just give you that courage to do something that is really scary. You know, so. mm. I, I think it's interesting how there are power plays going on in this story as well. There's a balance of power. You've got this, um, these two spies who kind of stomp into the land, you know, where the invading army, we're really hard, we're going to take this place, you know, let's go and suss it out. You've got a woman in a city who's frightened to death because she's heard about this. She lives in the city wall, which is going to be the first place that's going to get attacked. And yet within the story, that balance of power shifts very suddenly and very dramatically so that she becomes very powerful. She has their lives in her hand, and they become very weak. They're dependent upon a prostitute to keep them safe. And for me, that, that really shows that sometimes life twists very suddenly, very quickly. Uh, I, we were talking the other day. You, you find people out on the street, homeless people, 
and a lot of them are very clever, very intelligent people who had jobs like solicitors, um, estate agents. <laughs> they got what they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> repent, Alan, repent. I am very sorry if you're a He's estate a work agent. of grace. That, that is... <laughs> but what I'm saying is that something in their lives happened that, that sent their lives spiraling to a place where they became homeless on the streets. Um, a friend of mine told me about somebody that he met, a homeless person, and his story was that um, he had come home, um, his wife and children had been killed in a car accident. The police came and told him, and um, his story was that when it was all done and dusted, the police had gone, and he realized he would never see his wife and children again. He got some petrol, threw it under his house, lit a match, threw it into the petrol and walked away from the house and never went anywhere again. Became a homeless person from that moment on. And life sometimes twists, doesn't it? On a knife edge. And, and we can say we're safe, we're safe, we're safe, we're loving, we're having a great time. And then something can happen. It can be a tragedy, it can be an illness, it can be something. And, and I think to realize that God within that is faithful. And these spies, they must have looked at this woman who now had their lives in, their, in her hands, thinking, why on earth should she save us? They must have just said, God, help us. And it's amazing to think that there is a God who is there when, when life takes these sudden mm. and very sharp twists. But you're right, she was very, very brave. Yeah. So also the sense of honor and like faith and trust there because they go away and they could just come back and massacre, couldn't they? But she had some faith in there. So there's some integrity in yeah. what they were doing and, and that's uh, that's not so common these days. It, you know, so much peop- your word is your bond and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. And th- they were both desperate people, weren't they? I mean, the spies, that they'd got caught and, and for her, it was something, Jen. Following on from Nick, really, um, they, she also had to put the scarlet cord out, which she had to do something else again. She had to have trust in them looking for it. But it also reminded me of when um, they were in Israel and they had to paint blood on the door posts. Mm. Um, and you think, wouldn't the other people wonder why they were painting blood? Wouldn't the other people wonder why they were, why she put a scarlet cord out? You know, so it just sort of sets my mind going on a mm. Yeah, and and that theme, Nathan, that theme of of the blood. The scarlet cord, of course, um, images of, of the blood of Jesus, which was to come. You know, this theme that runs through the scriptures, which is, it's amazing, isn't it? Absolutely. I just think she's quite wise because um, she responded to obviously lots of her customers, um, probably a varied amount of cross-section of the community. So she heard all these rumors. Yeah. And instead of actually just thinking, oh, that's it, we're going to die. She actually responded, and she's quite wise because she sort of bargained with them as to say, right, yeah. if I do this for you, and she had quite a lot of faith in that, that that's, that was going to work. Um, so I think she was quite wise. Yeah, pragmatic as well. It's when she says, agreed, you can almost see a spit on a hand. <laughs> and there's a lady in the back afterwards as well. 
Uh, yeah, I just like the fact that in the, the midst of the big story, that God's looking out for the little person as well. That you know, we <laughs> yeah. got this massive thing, and you know, the big story is that Joshua's going to go into Jericho and they're going to take the city and everything. But within that, there's this small little, you know, one chapter aside about this prostitute. Who, you know, why did they end up going to her house in the first place? You know, why didn't they stay somewhere else? How did they know that she was going to be on their side? You know, but God's led them into this house so that she and all her family can be saved. Hebrew literature is is based on scenes. And, and it's, 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 you've, you're very right. There's this overarching story, but little scenes along the way, homing in on individuals. Okay, so I'm, I'm feel a bit honest here because actually I feel a bit sickened by what's going on. And I think that the fear that she felt led to the, her betrayal. And I think that you said that um, she held their life in her hands. And I think she actually held the life of, of Jericho. Um, I feel really upset actually because she could have saved the city you think I think she um, she betrayed the city and uh, I don't I, maybe I missed the beginning and I'm not quite sure were, were they the moon worshippers then were they what have they done uh, in, its, in its history at some point Jericho had been so they were fruit growers uh, yeah, they were. It, it was it was a mixed. It was a, a fortified city that that had uh, had a, a long history in that area. Had been destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt. So quite a a mixture of people uh, in in a, a, that ancient civilization. Yeah. But I, I guess the point that we're, we're turning on here is is possibly is that she had felt betrayed, maybe by them. The fact that she was a prostitute, the fact she was living in the city walls, which wasn't the best place, it was the, the most vulnerable place of all to live because you would be the first in the line of attack. Mm. Uh, there was a king of the city, but the king was just, I mean, it was a, a chief official, if you like. Mm. It wasn't a, a massive city. But I wonder whether her response was based upon her experience and her vulnerability and the fact that what she was desperate for was more hope, a different life, maybe escape from this. And so her saying is to me, I'll, I'll save you if you will promise me that I can become one of your people. Who knows? And I guess that's, that's the conundrum. We just drop in on a story. And, uh, and, and this is... is in many ways, what happens next week when the walls come down and people are murdered is, is a huge issue when we've been talking about this sort of stuff for a little while, is, is genocide that seems to be sanctioned by God in the Old Testament. Did it happen that way? Was God sanctioning it? Come back next week and Al will give you all the answers. You, you can ask him in bed tonight. We might, we might talk about it this week. <laughs> But it, it is, it is a, a really, it's, it's easy to be glib about it, isn't it? Because it's a story and, and whatever, but these are real people. What happened? The, um, the big picture um, is that, that God sets up his kingdom and he uses people who would, we would never, ever give any credit for. Because Rahab is part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus. She is actually, I'm not sure whether it's Matthew or Luke, 
they've, they've got the lineage there and uh, Rahab is there. And if you look at everything that God does, you take Jacob, Twister, that's what his name is, Twister. And yet it was from him and Joseph and the tribe, etc., that, uh, that Jesus came. And we say God is the God not only of the first chance, the second chance, the third chance. God does amazing, incredible things. And to use Rahab, a prostitute, in order to bring the Lord Jesus is an amazing, amazing plan. And uh, Chris is talking about small pictures and over, uh, overlooking pictures. But the big picture is that the Lord Jesus comes from uh, people like Rahab. And uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think that's a good place to finish because, because that's the Jewish line was passed down through the mother. And isn't that all the more significant that Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, is the great-great-grandmother of King David? She enters the, the lineage there, which is incredible that... that God isn't, God isn't about just keep, keep everybody else out. I just want it pure. Only my, you know, the, the best. God will, will have Jacob, the twister. Will have Rahab, the prostitute, who are brought in and become so central to the story, which I think is something huge that, that, that comes through there. It's easy to make judgments. It's easy to... To somehow uh, the Christian church to become very condemnatory but we've got inclusiveness here acceptance so a story that took place in an ancient world which is very difficult for us to understand because its values and systems were very very different to ours their behavior and responses were not modern responses um, but, but God at work in and through and around this and he still is in our lives today. That's the incredible thing. And we might be left with lots of questions about this and thinking, I'm not sure. Frankly, we need to live with the questions, don't we? Because it's, things are not always easily resolved. But having faith in a God who was there then and is with us now. Still faithful, still willing to accept. Let's pray. We finish. Let's stand together. And Father, we are grateful, so grateful, for the fact that um, you are a faithful and a true God and you are a God who accepts us. Thank you that, that in this story there was a woman who reached out to you, a woman who, for whatever reason, uh, bargained with the other side and vulnerable and hurt and marginalized or whatever it was that she was or just wanting safety and hope that you responded those spies your people responded to her <laughs> Father we ask that we might be people who from wherever we are, simply reach out to you and say, God, we know you're real. And we, want, we want to be with you. We want hope. 
we reach out. So help us. And help us to be people who do encourage others to be part of this story. Amen. Amen. Okay, please take your seats. We're we're just going to pass some baskets around and if you'd like to contribute, the fair trade shop is open and if you'd like to... um, get stuff from there. What we're encouraging people is, is if you do want to 